Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Africa Business of Sports podcast with your co-host Adam Spio, myself and Jabu Imtua. This week we are very excited to bring to you the third part of the business of the FIFA World Cup book that we're reviewing. Jabu, what do we have for the fans this week? So today we are speaking about engaging fans, fan engagement, chapter 12 of the business of the FIFA World Cup by as you may well know now, Professor Simon Chadwick, Dr. Paul Widdop, Christos Agnostopoulos, and Dr. Dan Parnell. Today, the chapter Engaging Fans, Chapter 12 from the Business of the FIFA World Cup by Andre Bula. And I must say, you know, we've been fanboying over this chapter for the last couple of days. Exceptional writing, exceptional level of detail about fan engagement, which I still feel is in its infancy in terms of a research area in sport. It's a really fantastic read. You know, I just have to say hats off to Andre Bulla for a fantastic chapter that he wrote. Um, The topics that we'll be covering in this episode is the nature of fans, different types of fans out there, engaging fans, engaging fans at the FIFA World Cup. And we will end with our take on what we would like to see or what we intend seeing in the FIFA World Cup to come come what November, December. Such an exciting episode we're going to have here. 100%. And I think a perfect place to start, which is where Andre Bula started um, after the introduction to this incredible chapter, is the nature of fans. And what was interesting to me, at least, as I read this, is that there's still different perspectives or different definitions when it comes to fans. So what Andre Bula starts with here is essentially discussing the different definitions of what a fan is. And he looks at, first of all, the Collins English Dictionary. He looks at the Cambridge International Dictionary of English and the Sir Norman Chester Center for Football Research and essentially compares all these different descriptions of what a fan is. So Edom, you know, a perfect place to start and to acknowledge is that this is still a recent research area for sport and fan engagement is something that has become a recent a recent um, sports research area which for example wasn't here 10 years ago so having this level of research and this level of engagement with the subject of fan engagement is pretty fascinating to read so first of all on the matter of the different definitions of a fan how does this check out in terms of us and our understandings of what a fan is essentially you know, sports truly mimics the way our society is. And we realize that us new generation have been included to the primary generation that is more or less our grandparents and our parents. We've realized that sports has had to adapt to the different categories of fans that come out there. That is why research has been done over the years to define or to fully correct characterize the kind of fans out there and how they would behave and how they engage with the different kind of sports that they follow through. And I love the fact that there is literature investing into this, saying that we need to understand fans more. We need to understand fans more. Last month, a couple of months, actually a couple of months ago, I read an article on the Barcelona website, which was studying or researching into the tools that a club like Barcelona can use to um, draw in Gen Z fans in order to keep them 
as engaged and as hungry as the current socials and the fans within the baby boomer generation. So it's, it's really fascinating that people are going beyond the conventional definition of fans that we have into looking into the different types of fans that are coming up and will come up over the years and looking for the right tools to engage them in order to keep the game going. Jabu, you and I would ask ourselves, what is the essence of fan engagement? Why do clubs, why do professional leagues need to invest into having their fans constantly engaged? Because one can just say that ever since in the exception of football, people have been going to stadia and stadia fans one can assume that stadia fans are the most important but we've come to see over the years through the kind of research that we've read that stadia fans are not just the only important ones but there are new categories of fans coming out there what are you what is your what is your take on that one of the prime groups of uh, fans that are coming out now and that are becoming even more important to the economic efficiency of clubs and global sports leagues is the global fan. It's you and I. It's you and I who watch the Premier League Edom from Africa and who engage with the Premier League as much as the fan go the fan grad going to the stadium. The strategic importance of global fans has become something that has proliferated over the years. With regards to why essentially fan engagement is such an important component to club strategies, league strategies, I think there is a perfect encapsulation of this. And it's a quote from the the book right at the end. And I quote, fans are the lifeblood of every sporting organization. Without supporters, the business of football would not be a business because there would be no audience paying for tickets, no spectators watching sports on TV or the internet, no recipients reading the sports news, no fans buying merchandise, and no potential customers for the sports entity's sponsors. Nearly everything in the football business is aimed at fans. And I feel that encapsulates the importance of fans. There would be no sports business without fans, Edom, essentially. And I think one thing that we do um, as supporters ourselves, but also by the behavior and the conduct of certain sporting institutions and sports clubs, is that the importance of fans is underestimated, right? And that's why... We read in this in this chapter how fans are feeling that there is a distance between themselves and the club that they support that is growing. Fans are not feeling like they're being appreciated. Fans do not feel that they are part of the decision-making and influence what goes on in the game. I think a perfect example of this is the Super League last year. But what went on to be seen, um, although it was, very, it was an indirect consequence of that entire debacle, was that fans are the lifeblood of the game. Fans were the ones who forced those Super League clubs, especially the big six in the Premier League, to step back from the Super League and not enter the competition. So fans, as much as they are um, customers to the game, they are also the co-producers of these events when it comes to football and other sports because essentially they produce those atmospheres, right? What would a Premier League game be without the atmosphere that the fans give? What would any sport be without the atmosphere that fans create within the stadium. So fan engagement is a crucial component to the strategy of any sort of sports organization these days. And it just goes to show that fans should not be underestimated for the role that they play for the economic and also just the strategic efficiency of these sports organizations and clubs. An excerpt from the subchapter reads, 
And I quote, apart from that, football supporters are just as important when it comes to the product itself. Moro notes the important role of the fans in creating the product, which they actually consume. The atmosphere not only is a crucial part of the attractiveness of the game, but it is created by the supporters. In this respect, the fans can be seen as co-producers of an event they pay for in order to attend. Therefore, fans are also called co-creators of value, prosumers, a combination of producer and consumer in the context of sporting events. So we know when we read this, what comes to mind is that there's a section of organizations out there which realize the key, key role the fans play. There was a research that was done into the the completion of the league during the lockdown, which showed that a lot of the teams which didn't perform very well or which did perform very well were able to and, and, and unable to without the presence of fans. Those research that showed that more teams had a comfortable from not having the pressure of fans, you know, asking for a penalty or a free kick of some sort. So we know the impact. I, for one, didn't enjoy having to finish the season as a Liverpool fan, not having fans celebrating there with the players. So fans, like you mentioned, with the Super League saga that happened last year, that they play an extremely important role in order to usher the leagues, in order to usher the competitions, in order to usher sports itself to be a truly truly global experience. Jabu, think of the 2010 Africa World Cup that we had here. The very first goal, which was scored by Shabalala. Imagine there were no fans in the stadium to celebrate. How would that even feel for our legacy? So fans, like this except said, they are co-producers who enjoy the show that they produce themselves. And organizations shouldn't take them for granted. I couldn't agree more with you, Adam. And what we're seeing especially over the past decade, is the development of different types of fans, right? So not every single fan that you come across are fanatics. Not every single fan that you come across are emotionally invested in whatever sport they're watching. But there is a categorization that has been developed through the exceptional literature that is coming um, on fan engagement. And one of those categories is football fanatics, right? So in the the purposes of discussing the World Cup, they are football fanatics who essentially prefer to go to the stadium themselves. I mean, Bula goes through a couple of categories here. There's club loyalists who are described as long-term football fans, there's icon imitators who follow specific players. And you see this through, by example, Ronaldo's move to Juventus from um, Real Madrid a couple of years ago and the amount of fans that actually moved or changed teams or started following Juventus just goes to show what icon imitators are. There's FOMO followers who are less emotionally engaged, but just prefer to follow the big teams and the big competitions for the fear of missing out. So just because, you know, say my family or my friends are interested in the sport, that also indirectly influences me and makes me more persuaded to follow that sport or to follow that specific game. You see this by um, the amount of people that will be watching the World Cup because it's such a global cultural event that everyone essentially is going to be involved in. You don't want to be that person in your friend group, or you don't want to be that person within your your society who is not able to 
involved, be involved in those conversations when they're speaking about the World Cup. There's main eventers, which is another category of fans, and they have a low engagement frequency, but it increases around the big matches and tournaments. And this is something that is going to be demonstrated through the World Cup, Edom, I believe, that there are going to be fans who are specifically interested in the World Cup as an event rather than the results of specific games. Lastly, there are tagalongs who are fans with the lightest level of emotional and intellectual engagement, and their interest in the sport is more centered around team performance of the national teams, right? So I may not be massively interested in sport, but for example, because I'm from Ghana, because I'm from Algeria, and my team is playing in the World Cup, I'm going to watch that World Cup. So it's different motivations and different ways that fans engage with the sports. And it just goes to show, Edom, that not every single fan is a football fanatic or not every single fan is a diehard of the sport, but rather they are different categories of fans and it's up to the sponsors, it's up to FIFA themselves to leverage how they engage with these fans to ensure that they can be converted to fans who are now more involved in watching the sports, more involved in paying for subscriptions, for example, when it comes to these sports. And it just also goes to show that once again, there is such a deep analysis and such a deep understanding of fans and we shouldn't just look at it from the surface level, you know. I mean, one thing I really commend FIFA on and applaud their efforts and that of the host nation, especially when we look at the incoming World Cup in Qatar, is that they have been able to add new categories of fans as per, let's say, the World Cup in 1930 or the World Cup in 1998 so that they've created activations which will give more fans the ability to come around you know we, we, th- there was a very interesting stat that i read about the 2018 and the 2014 world cup with one of the activations that fifa put through so fifa realized that fun festivals where fans can come and watch games on the big screen, enjoy good music, enjoy good food, and enjoy really the, the, the Ubuntu approach to, you know, sports where they are, they're not just, I mean, I mean, they may miss out on going to a stadium, but they're sitting around their friends and they are enjoying a game. It's, you know, in the 2014 FIFA World Cup, 5.2 million people visited FIFA Fan Fest, right? And in Rio de Janeiro alone, we had close to 940,000 visitors. And in 2018, that figure increased. We saw 7.7 million locals and international football fans visiting the 11 FIFA fan festivals, right? Which showed that, I mean, they watched over 917 hours of live football. That is not small at all. And one of, on, and, and in one of the fan festival engagement activities, they're going to have to ranking as one of the artists who's going to you know perform at this world cup so it shows you that fifa realizes that there's potential and not just fifa but then the host nation and then the organizations which are setting up the world cup realize that there's potential here for us to bring a different category of fan if only we focus on what fans need if only we look at innovations from a fan-led point of view so one of the organizations which i really like is a fifa fan-led group where they've given fans across the world the, the opportunity to be a part of fifa and have their opinions have their say have their suggestions come to life which is really very good work done by fifa and its partners and i just have to commend them for that 
just to reinforce your points around the importance of FIFA fan festivals and the amount of visitors that they get, one of the things that are going to completely amplify the enjoyment that people will get and also the reach of these FIFA fan festivals is that something I saw on LinkedIn recently is that there's going to be a satellite program where in different areas or different regions of the world, there are going to be fan festivals and fan parks, FIFA fan parks that are going to be run there, which will be run concurrently throughout every single different time zone and will be simultaneously um, conducted with every single other FIFA fan fest. So it's almost like a satellite program where I'm in Rio de Janeiro and another person is in London, but the same FIFA festival is taking place and we are all connected to the Qatar one. So, I mean, technology, once again, as we spoke about in the previous episodes, is having such a huge impact on how we also connect with the FIFA World Cup and FIFA Fan Fest now going to be run not only in Qatar or the host country, but now FIFA is introducing innovations where these FIFA Fan Festivals can happen concurrently and work with with each other in order to produce a fan festival that is almost global in reach. So what is your opinion on that? The fact that the FIFA Fan Festivals, unlike the 2014 Brazil World Cup, unlike the Russia World Cup, where they only take place within the host country, but they're now having a global impact and a global reach, which will take place concurrently. How massive is that, man, for fan engagement? I mean, Jabu, it is, it is the next stage of FIFA World Cup fan engagement in that Imagine six, seven fun fests for a particular game, maybe in the final, let's say it's Brazil versus Argentina and all the fans of Argentina and all the fans of Brazil are meeting in a particular spot within their country to watch that final. Jabu, that will be huge. That is on top potential because do you know what? It already exists, right? It already exists, but it's not tapped into because people have for a very long time focused on the host nation themselves. But now if you're going to have the fan fest spread around the world, what it does for you is that it creates more content on social media platforms and it gives fans the say to say that I was a part of this World Cup. I watched it at this fan fest and maybe just maybe fans may be able to access merchandise from that fan fest. They may be able to access um, um, souvenirs from that fan fest. They may, be, they may be able to access different fans of different categories. Imagine there's an Argentine fan based in Ghana who works in Ghana, right, and cannot attend the World Cup. But if Argentina is playing in the final against Brazil, they can go and watch Argentina play at one of these global fan festivals and Jabu, that would really change the experience of the World Cup and even increase its prominence as a mega sports event. Yeah, I think there's going to be some record numbers that are going to be set in terms of the amount of people who are going to be accessing the World Cup and engaging with the World Cup throughout the FIFA Fan Fest, but obviously primarily throughout watching the game um, over the next couple of weeks during the World Cup. So Bula goes on after describing the nature of the fan and um, all these other um, aspects of fan engagement, such as the FIFA Fan Festival, which is a critical component to how FIFA runs and distributes the World Cup. Thereafter, he goes into, um, and this is one of the, one of my favorite parts of the chapter, the empirical studies and academic papers on fan engagement. And I was just blown away by the amount of detail and how meticulous some scholars seem to be about fan engagement and how they can use that as predictors of consumer behaviors. So in particular, there's a 
study by Standard and De Beer, who speak about fan engagement in the context of South African football, which was pretty interesting to read. Bula goes on to also touch on fan engagement in the context of football club social media activities. So the role of social media in facilitating fan engagements. Um, I know there's going to be some World Cup emojis on Twitter. I know there are hashtags that happen um, or that are created rather for specifically the World Cup and, you know, to drive engagement and conversation around that. But one of the essential recommendations that Bula puts across here is that there needs to be, and I quote, appropriate balance between purely commercial content and content increasing fan interaction and fan engagement. Because you know what it is, you know, one thing about fan engagement or the, the way it's being presented is that it appears to have such an altruistic approach to, you know, we're trying to give the game to everyone. We're trying to spread and um, expand the reach of the game to everyone. But at the same time, it can be really commercialized. And, you know, fan engagement shouldn't be um, something that is just trying to milk money out of fans. Um, in, in football, but in particular, the World Cup, just because of the numbers that are involved. So there has to be a balance between content that is truly aimed at amplifying fan interaction and allowing fans to engage with the sport. But also, at the same, at the, in, in the same breath, you need to have a clear consideration of the commercial content. So the amount of times you ask a fan to buy something, the amount of times you ask a fan to support a certain brand or sponsor that is associated with the World Cup, it's really critical that that balance in particular is struck accordingly. Instruments to Engage Friends is a section which I really enjoyed reading that Bula in quite deep and extensive feedback in terms of the membership clubs and the membership schemes that fan, that, uh, fan groups, uh, sports organizations and clubs have to offer is fan loyalty programs. And here's an interesting one, complaint management program is a good instrument as well, where FIFA has been making really good strides. So these different components, Edom, of instruments that are used to engage fans that are right now, as we watch uh, leagues and competitions that are played throughout Europe and around the world, but in particular with the World Cup, what is the importance of these instruments to engage fans to ensure that they have the greatest experience of the biggest event in the world? I mean, a lot of fans, a lot of organizations as well, are already pretty worried about some of the key topics which are coming out of, you know, the MENA region and Qatar with regards to human rights issues and whatnot. So what happens or what needs to happen now is that as a host nation and as an organization, FIFA and as a mega sports event, these three key stakeholders, need to find a way to assure fans that regardless of what is coming through, they are going to have a top event happening because we saw that in 2018, right? So let, let me just give a bit of stats to it. For the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, there were about roughly 53,772 53, average fans. And then when it came to Russia, the figure dropped to 47.371, which really showed that a lot of factors contributed to that not happening very well. And from the book, we read that the, uh, the uh, was, yes, we read that the Foreign Affairs Committee of the UK House of Commons 
published a report warning British citizens planning to visit the FIFA World Cup in Russia about alleged threats, threats that had to do with racism, anti-UK sentiment, hooliganism, violence, blah, blah, blah. Now we know that there will be certain conversations that will be coming through for fans to look out for, especially with regards to human rights issues in Qatar. So now it's up to FIFA, it's up to Qatar as a host nation, and it's up to the sponsors and the people who are key stakeholders to assure fans that we are going to tackle the issues that you're looking for. We are going to consider the point of views that you bring, and we are going to co-create activations with you so that at the end of the day, you will have a much better experience rather than seeing your concerns come to life. So that is the focus, I believe, that FIFA, the host nation Qatar, and the other key stakeholders involved will have to bring through with the, the remaining months to the World Cup to sh- ensure to assure fans that, yes, the issues are there, but we are fighting them and we are going to give you a much better World Cup as expected. You referenced the drop-off from or compared to the 2014 Brazil World Cup when it came to the 2018 World Cup in Russia. While there was a drop-off, however, FIFA noted over 7.5 billion engagements across all their digital platforms, 1.25 billion video views, and over 580 million interactions on FIFA social media platforms during the tournament. So the amount of social media engagement that was produced throughout the Russia World Cup were record numbers, although there was a drop-off, as you just mentioned there, Edem. And also another interesting fact is that the World Cup Russia app, so the sports app for the official sports app for the Russia World Cup was in over 128 countries. So FIFA was, you know, able to, you know, through the the, the, the creation of an app for a specific World Cup through the social media engagements and all the activations that happened through there was to create hype for the World Cup, essentially. It's all about creating hype and creating that need and desire for someone to drop everything that they're doing, or a fan rather, to drop everything they're doing and watch the World Cup. That gives a sense of fans being essentially hyped up in order to want to watch the World Cup, in order to make time for the World Cup. Because, you know, there's people who change their sleeping patterns because they want to watch the World Cup live. You know, not Mm. everyone is going to be able to watch the World Cup during the day. So there's going to be fans who literally alter their sleeping patterns in order to watch the World Cup live. So how do you create that desire? How do you create that, that wish within a fan to want to even do that, to alter their sleeping schedules in order to watch the World Cup? It's to make it accessible, it's to make it exciting, engaging, and an immersive experience to ensure that everyone who accesses the World Cup gets the best experience possible. So that is a fascinating stat there from the social media FIFA. There is a Nielsen study, or rather a Nielsen report, titled What Fans Want, and we believe this will complement the chapter massively. Edom, we briefly went through the report around what fans want, essentially, going into specifically the 2022 FIFA Cup. What's the importance of this type of research in truly understanding the nature of fans and what they want, and how other stakeholders within the sports ecosystem can satisfy those needs? Well, sports fans have been saying for a very long time that 
there is no sports without us, and which is very true. So now placing them at the center of research means that you are giving them the opportunity to be a part of that co-creation. You are saying that now it's time for us to focus on fans and give them the, the platform that they need and show people to the world how invested they are for particular competitions. In that document, we saw that um, that the percentage of women interested in various sports, various football competition, the highest was for the FIFA World Cup, which was 34%. And then the second highest was the UEFA European Championship, which dropped to 21%. And then as the leagues go through from the Champions League, the Premier League, the Europa, the Asian Cup, the Spanish La Liga, Italian Serie A, it gradually reduces. So such a document would give broadcasting or corporations, would give professional sports bodies the ability to come up with innovative activations in order to attract the fans and retain them. One thing I really loved about this report was how Nielsen essentially distilled what fans want by using four critical points. And that is on page 13 of the report, and we will put it in the show notes for you to check out. Number one, one of the biggest takeaways from this report is the world sport still has room to grow. Although there's billions of people, Edom, that interact with the World Cup, that watch World Cup games, you may think that we have reached the capacity and we have a maximum of the fans, but still, there are still certain demographic and still genders who are growing in number in terms of their engagement with the World Cup. So in particular, female football fans are more interested in the World Cup than any other football competitions, as you just alluded to there. Also, Asian populations and brands are continuing to grow and emerge in the engagement with the World Cup. So brands that will capitalize on the opportunity will be able to convert fans in that new region, in Asia. And we know that Asia is a huge market in terms of sports marketing. And many sponsors of the Champions League, for example, come from Chinese companies and come from various other Asian dates. Number two, data drives modern sports viewing. So fans expect reliable, real-time data that contextualizes and enhances whatever they're watching. Because in the World Cup, we know that a certain game may impact the result of another, or mm. we have a case where two, two teams are on the same points in the group and there's one more game left. So fans, that's why we have if the, the Premier League app one of the big innovations of the past decade is the Premier League app where we are constantly checking our Premier League app to see what are the other results, who's scoring in the other game, what are yeah. the possession statistics in the other game, how many shots on target do they have in the other team. So it's constantly being able to view other sources, being able to use other devices in order to contextualize what exactly is happening in the game that you're watching because watching that game alone, independent of all the other games that may have an impact on that specific game you're watching is not a true complete picture of what may be going on. So fans being able to go through those different apps, go through different websites while they're watching one game is critically, critically important. And we see this once again, as it's amplified in the report regarding the other things that fans do while they're watching a game. So this Nielsen report discusses how fans multitask while they are watching football. Mm. Right. So we have, for example, one of the big activities or one of the prominent activities from the countries that have been surveyed in this report is that 
69% of football fans while watching a game are multitasking by doing what? Ordering food, right? So that's where companies like Mr. D in South Africa or Uber Eats, for example, or Deliveroo, whichever food, food delivery company, they need to be cognizant of this information. They probably already mm. are. And it's become a common practice to buy food while you are watching a game, eat them. Other things that fans seem to tend to do when they are watching football is checking their email, which is 67% of football fans. Playing online video games is another thing that is prominent among fans. Live betting at 42% as well. So looking at the odds as the game goes on is something that fans tend to do. How important is understanding these different things that fans do during the game? How important is that, Edom, to brands who are going to be associated with the World Cup and sponsors as well? Because this is valuable information. How do you engage fans during the match as well? And one thing FIFA has done, which has led to the incredible record numbers on their social media from the past World Cup, is to also post content and have social media content during the game because they are aware that fans have two screens on. So there's many innovations and different ways that fans are coming across now. And this report distills it into these four key points. And the the other two, I'll just leave them to you. The third takeaway here is that board sponsorship win big among fans. We look at McDonald's, who they uh, created the fantasy FIFA league during the 2018 World Cup and the 2014 World Cup, and during a game where, for instance, I have three players from Germany, I would rather sit and watch that game to see actively the points that I'll be getting for that fantasy league, which comes back to the data-driven approach to increasing your viewership as a sports organization. And two of the key takeaways under sponsorship was that football fans are more likely than the general population to be influenced by sponsorship. So we know that Coca-Cola has been one of the biggest sponsors of the FIFA World Cup over a long period of time. And you and I truly got to really understand the power of Coca-Cola from the World Cup, the responsion. So I would drink a Coca-Cola during a World Cup game, just like how I will drink a, a Heineken beer during a Champions League game, because it makes me feel as though I am directly associated with the brand. And it says that the non-alcoholic drinks category continues to spend the most on sponsorship by percentage. But tourism sponsorships have made a big jump since 2018. So we see that through the work that the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy are doing with the fan festivals, they're doing with the uh, activations. I saw on LinkedIn one activation where fans have the opportunity to go and see all the mascots that have been used in the World Cup since 1966. I mean, that is a huge opportunity for a sponsor to be able to give that form of tourism sponsorship to fans that will come through. And the fourth takeaway was that divided fan attention means more opportunities for immersion. Now, one would think, why would divided fan attention mean more opportunities for immersion? Well, the overwhelming majority of fans are multitasking, as we said, on their devices while watching a match. So you have people who are ordering food, you have people who are checking their fantasy, you have people who are making sure that they're checking the stats and then the, the, the performances from other teams because they want to get a holistic experience. And it says that the World Cup isn't just a televised event. It's the opportunity for a fully immersive experience. I want to win a fantasy game. I want to be the winner of it. I want to bet at the same time. I want to check the stats. So 
being divided in our attention is actually a room for growth in there. One thing FIFA has done already, which is expanding on the fan engagement platforms that they have at the moment, is the partnership that they have with Roblox, which is a digital platform or fan engagement company that specialize in creating essentially, you know, fan metaverse experiences, right? So we spoke about uh, VR technology coming in to how we engage with the sport and how that is evolving. Now, FIFA have announced a multi-year partnership with Roblox, which will see soccer's global governing body launch an immersive fan experience. This is an article from SportsPro. The FIFA World Virtual Environment, which launches ahead of this year's Qatar World Cup, will allow users to interact in social spaces, earn rewards, and collect virtual items. The Roblox platform will also include a range of skill games, collector challenges, video content, and in-game events. So, Edom, this goes on to show that FIFA is actively using the information that they have at hand and the information that they've learned from the previous World Cups to ensure that they continue to innovate and evolve how they distribute or how they um, deliver fan engagement to fans like me and you. So the metaverse, huge innovation over the past three, two years that have blown us away in terms of the opportunity of an immersive experience. So FIFA with FIFA World is acting that out at the moment. And it will be interesting to see how many people or the numbers rather and the take up and in the engagement on FIFA World, especially from the younger demographics who you know, love technology, love VR and VR and AR in terms of how they engage with games, how they engage with um, challenges that come online. So it's going to be incredibly important in terms of the success of FIFA World and what that means for further World Cup edition. What I think FIFA should do is that for this particular World Cup and the subsequent ones to come, they need to find ways to engage more of their younger audience who will be present both at World Cup hosting nations or or locations and online and at at their homes because we see clubs doing that for their younger members. FIFA can then take opportunity. So for example, a 10-year-old who's going to watch the World Cup will probably only have the 20... 18 World Cup as their last memory of the World Cup, but you want to be able to immerse them in the history of the World Cup. So finding activations to that can be very good. And I believe that um, FIFA should currently invest into it, bring out research into it and find ways to bring in young people to be fully immersed in this Jabu, I have loved having this conversation with you on the power of fun engagement, especially at the World Cup, we've really done justice to this chapter. Personally thinking, any sports organization that wants to be able to become as successful as FIFA should get their hands on this book, read it, and then find a ways to use the lessons learned. It's been, it's been fantastic having this conversation to our audience. Just as we say every time, contact us, give us your feedback, let us know what you think about it, and we're willing and really ready to listen to what you have to say. Jabu, has been fantastic. Thank you very much to our audience for listening. It's goodbye for now, and we will see you next week.